Thank you, Ben. Please join with me in prayer. Almighty God, we again ask for you to bless not only the reading of your word in our presence, but also the proclamation of your word. Help us to lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to learn from him and help us to follow him by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you would give us, as I prayed earlier, the mind of Christ. Give us that wisdom, that understanding, that knowledge of God, and that discernment that we might um, be able to discern what is excellent and uh, live for you and give you praise and honor and glory. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. I have found that one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life for me is prayer. I struggle to keep my focus in prayer. I often rush through my prayers uh, without slowing down to adequately focus on God as I pray. Sometimes I feel like I'm just checking a box as I go through a list of prayer requests. One of the things that I used to do, and I'll mention a little later uh, in the service, is I used to go on long prayer walks. Uh, with leave my phone, leave everything behind just so that I could be as distraction-free as possible. Um, But uh, that being said, I can also say that the biggest and best decisions that I have ever made in my life have been made in response to prayer. Over the years, as I've talked through uh, various issues with God... Uh, I've come to decisions that have surprised me. Uh, God really does give wisdom to His children who seek His help. Our passage this morning focuses on a decision, actually it's 12 decisions, that Jesus made while in prayer. Um, Jesus spent the entire night in prayer and then He chose His 12 disciples. It might be helpful to look again at verse 12 and 13. In these days, he, being Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So Jesus went out. He spent the entire night in prayer. He was out in the open Out in the cold, I would presume. Uh, Why would he pray like this? Why would he uh, extricate himself from everybody else, go up on this mountain all by himself, and spend the entire night in prayer? Well, I believe he needed time to be alone um, to speak to his father about this very important decision. That was before him. Uh, You know, Jesus lived in a day and age when he and everybody had far less distractions in their lives than we do. Um, 
No televisions. No radios. No cell phones. And the young people say, well, then how did he survive? <laughs> you know, there are studies. Uh, I'll couch how I say this as I'm in the pulpit. There are studies that say that there are couples that are relating much less often because their cell phones are such a distraction. I mean, how do you categorize that? Jesus radically left all distractions behind when he went up on the mountain to pray. My practice, uh, for many years, and it was much easier when I was in South Carolina, was to walk and pray. And I would, I, because I could concentrate and focus for half hour or 20 minutes or whatever as I'm praying, and then there wasn't anything to do but pray as I walked back. And so um, that was a very regular part of my, um, of my ministry practice. And, and then I got down here and I would walk around the, the property. But I found out that Florida's a bit more uh, difficult to walk and pray. It's, you know, it's hotter down here. And if you wait until the cooler parts of the day, there are the mosquitoes. And so that's one part of my um, spiritual disciplines that I think I, I do need to, uh, to restart and just uh, convicted by this passage of Scripture, our Lord Jesus going out, facing a big decision, and spending time alone, spending time where He can be at earnest with his father about the decision that was before him. So, Jesus here is praying for wisdom. Jesus, who is the Son of God, is praying for wisdom as he makes this decision on which of his uh, disciples to call. Uh, You know, the early church, in following Jesus' lead, often... Uh, their prayer requests, their central prayer requests were for prayers for wisdom. That's why in the pastoral prayer I was praying for wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. All of these uh, examples here are, all, are in the first chapter, you'll notice. Uh, because I think it shows a priority on asking God to give the church wisdom. James 1 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. And so he's saying, Paul's praying, give the the church more knowledge, and presumably knowledge of God, and give them more discernment so that they'll know what is right and wrong, what is excellent, and be able to stay away from what is is not excellent, what is impure, in order that they may fill their lives more with knowledge of God. 
He prays the same thing for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. You hear all the ways He mentions wisdom here. And he's praying for wisdom, the eyes of their heart, so to speak, to be enlightened so that they might know God better. In Philippians 1.9, and so from the first day we heard, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so the early church made a priority in praying for wisdom. Sadly, we often limit our prayers to things that we want God to do or things we want God to change. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just make sure that we're not doing that to the exclusion of asking God to give us the mind of Christ to give us spiritual wisdom and understanding, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might grow in the knowledge of God. Don't just pray, God, change my circumstances. God, help me to do well on this upcoming test. God, heal my loved one. Again, those things are great. And we are called to pray for those things. Whatever you will. Ask and it will be given to you. But don't neglect to pray and ask God for wisdom and for more knowledge of Himself. How often do we pray for greater wisdom, knowledge, and understanding or discernment with no other desire than to know God better? And walk more closely with Him. Is that a regular part of your prayer life? It should be. And not only in your prayers for yourself, but in your prayers for your pastor as well. And for your elders and for the entire congregation. The Apostle Paul is praying for the entire church to have wisdom and spiritual discernment. And so Jesus presumably, spent the entire night out in the cold underneath the dew that was falling upon him, asking God to give him wisdom. Wisdom specifically in choosing the twelve disciples who would become his apostles. But there's something a bit surprising about the outcome of his prayers. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 And Judas, the son of James, and then there's this other Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So how could Judas Iscariot end up on this list if the Lord Jesus Christ spent the entire night asking God to give him wisdom in who to choose? Well, the short answer is that God wanted Judas to be on that list. John 17, verse 12, as Jesus was praying, um, 
just before his uh, betrayal and arrest, Jesus in his prayer says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus in that prayer in in another place acknowledges that all twelve of those disciples were given to Him by the Father. Even Judas, who is the son of destruction. So Jesus spent the night seeking God for wisdom, spent the night seeking God for understanding and knowledge and discernment. And He ends up with Judas on the list. I think there's an important lesson for us uh, as we think about prayer. God uses our prayers for His purposes. God is not bound to bend His will to our limited human wisdom. Many make the mistake of treating prayer as a magical formula to get God to do uh, for us what, he, what we want Him to do. Um, prayer is not a magical formula. Uh, God will not be brought uh, underneath our uh, selfish and finite will. He certainly bids us pray. He says whatever we wish, He will give to us. Uh, that is certainly within His the confines of His promises and His character. Uh, many people think that God just won't know what I need unless I tell Him. Or God must be stirred up by our prayers as if He were sleeping and needs to be aroused by our voice. Uh, to go on a little aside, a little rabbit trail, not long. Uh, the question is raised, why should we pray if God is going to do what He has already determined that He's going to do? Why, why, why take the time? Why put in the effort? If God has already ordained it from eternity past... Well, prayer is the preeminent way that we exercise our faith. Calvin uh, has said that God has ordained prayer not so much for His own sake as for ours. It is not God who is prone to be sluggish and lazy or sleepy. Uh, We are the ones who are inclined to be sluggish and lazy and sleepy in our exercise of faith. We need prayer in order to stir us up and take hold of God for those things which God has laid on our hearts. Uh, Calvin, uh, in, his, in his institutes, uh, for those of you who are so inclined, chapter 20 in, his, in book 3, book 3, chapter 20, is Calvin uh, on... On prayer, it is a masterful treatment of prayer. And in the third section, they're broken up into to, to sections. I can't remember. There's like maybe 40 sections in that chapter. But in that third section, uh, Calvin gives six reasons why God calls us to pray. Too long to go into. Um, 
one of those reasons is that as we rely upon God in prayer, we become accustomed, more accustomed to relying on Him. And God wants us to rely upon Him. And so He says, come to me in prayer. Another, our faith grows as we receive answers to prayer. I've told you before that uh, God has not often answered my prayers for miraculous healing. Uh, One time in our ministry, uh, in my ministry, has God that I can no other way explain except God says, I'm going to answer your prayer miraculously. Um, And you say, well, pastor, I think I want another pastor. I want somebody who's going to get my prayers answered miraculously every time he prays. But uh, one person that I know of, I mean, the the doctor went and and cut him open looking for the cancer that was was on the x-ray that he had biopsied. Uh, the, the week before and, and cut him open. No cancer. Leroy, I don't know what happened. That cancer's not there and sewed him back up. That encourages me in my prayers. I've told the stories of uh, the way God spoiled me in Uganda uh, as I was praying. First, I had to preach because all the other pastors had gone down with malaria. Dr. Krabendam said, you're up. I've only preached one time in my entire life. Dr. K says, don't think about yourself. That's being prideful. Uh, you're preaching because there's no one left to preach. And so, and God blessed it. And those, the answers to those prayers spoiled me, taught me what to, how to pray. And it encourages me to press forward when I'm feeling sluggish in prayer. And there's other reasons that Calvin goes into. To summarize, prayer is for your spiritual health. You are stunning your own growth if you neglect the, the grace of prayer. And so we see here, the first point was Jesus prays. Second point, Pretty simple. Jesus chooses. Verses 13 through 16. And I want to ask this question. Why did Jesus have to choose disciples? Wouldn't it be sufficient um, for him to simply have a big following? And he had a big following. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples that were following him. But he says no. Um, I'm going to choose these disciples. Well, there's very important reasons why he chose a specific few. Um, Secular reason is the choice of subordinate leadership is absolutely essential to the success of the mission. Um, Justin Klatsky gave me a series of books on the, uh, the Civil War. That talks about leadership, and one of uh, one of you know, or General Lee had a succession of leadership beneath him that was fabulous. And even though the South was so far behind in men and wealth and resources, 
The South almost won the Civil War because of the quality of leadership that was underneath Lee. Lee could count on those men. Or you take George Marshall. You know, this is Veterans Day. Uh, You take George Marshall, General George Marshall, uh, general over all the Allied command. Um, And uh, the generals that he had underneath him, fabulous men. And those men, great leaders, had leaders under them going all the way down to the lieutenants. And then the the sergeants, sergeant majors. Uh, You went on down through. And the leadership, the strength of leadership was essential to us winning the Second World War. And so for that reason, or that's one reason why Jesus had to choose disciples. Uh, Another reason is he had to have apostles. Again, look at verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So he chose these twelve to be apostles. And there is a lot of of heavy theological discussion we could have in, in that regard, but suffice it to say that the apostles were going to be Jesus' official representatives after Jesus ascended into heaven. Their calling was unique in the history of the church. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles, those 12 men, and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. They had a foundational purpose. Once the foundation was was laid, there was no need for continuing apostles. To put it in modern terms, the apostles had power of attorney to to represent Christ here on earth. Everything that needed to be done to establish the church for the succeeding generations, the apostles did during their 40 years following Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Now, a related question. Why did Jesus only choose 12 disciples? You know, seven is a popular biblical number. Ten's a popular biblical number. Uh, Forty is a popular biblical number. Why did he only choose twelve? He chose twelve to signify that the church is the continuing people of God. The church, again, Ephesians 2.20, was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Or again, Roman, or Revelation 12, 21 four, verse 14, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were twelve names of the twelve apostles and of the Lamb. Uh, what's, what the Apostle John is saying here in his vision of the, the walls of the city is that the church is the true Israel. Uh, Paul calls the Gentile congregation in Galatia the Israel of God at the end of Galatians chapter 6. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells the Gentile congregation in Philippi that we are the true circumcision. And again, Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells them that they are the true children of Abraham, heirs according to the promises. And so there's this continuity 
The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There's this continuity. The Old Testament people of God uh, were founded upon the 12 tribes. The New Testament people of God founded on the 12 disciples. And so it emphasizes this essential continuity. The choice of subordinate leadership is absolutely essential to the mission of the church. Uh, As I've already said. But then there's these curious choices. If the succession of leadership is so important, then why choose Judas? Or why choose any of the other disciples? Um, There were many disciples following Jesus, and he only chose 12 among those many. From the large following, um, Jesus chose a very motley crew. Uh, There were no religious leaders among them. There were no politicians. There were no celebrities. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. So they were uneducated, common. You know, among them, Matthew the tax collector, who is considered among his people a traitor. Simon the zealot in verse 15. It was a sect of, of uh, an, an offshoot, so to speak, of, of Jews that were zealots. And si- Simon was part of this, um, this sect, obscure religious sect. And then you had, of course, Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. Then there's, of course, Simon Peter, the impertinent brash, not self-disciplined Simon Peter, always sticking his foot in his mouth. Collectively, this was an unimpressive crew of men. Uh, At different times, the whole lot of them were unbelieving. Jesus would say something, and they would disbelieve it. There were at least two different times that I can remember where they had arguments among themselves. Who's going to be the greatest? Jesus had to say, the greatest among you will be your servant. In other words, they were not the men that most would have chosen to serve as the foundations for the church. Of course, you think about the 12 tribes of Israel and you come to that same conclusion. Um, They were an unruly bunch. They were not necessarily known for their godliness. But you know what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1? He said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, and it's only because of Him, talking about Jesus Christ, uh, or, or God the Father, because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 
the disciples often fell into the trap, into the error of thinking that they were chosen because they were special. But the secret of their success was their calling by God. God intended to take people who were low, who were despised, to shame those who are strong. As we conclude, let me ask you this question. How do you view yourself as a Christian? Are you God's gift to the church? Are you smarter and better than those people who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, in order to become a member of the church, the first vow you take says, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? We are only in Christ because God has called us out of darkness, called us out of our spiritual deadness, called us out of our worldliness, and called us to His Son, Jesus Christ. God continues to call a motley crew of people to be His own people, to be His dearly loved people, to be His special adopted people, not because of anything in us. So, brothers and sisters, what do we do with this passage? I want to encourage you. Be a praying people because You are needy. I am needy. We need God's wisdom. We need His discernment. We need His spiritual power. Rely upon God in prayer. Be a humble people. Remember that at your best, you're simply sinners saved by grace. And then third, expect God to change and transform you. These disciples, if we were to look into the book of Acts, we would see a people that we would not recognize here in chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. These men, excluding Judas, they were transformed. Christ died for His church. Christ died for you who are in His church. He shed His own blood for you. If He loved you that much, expect Him to be at work in His church. Expect Him to be at work in His people. Expect Him to be at work in you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that You would bless Your Word to our hearts Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing that the good work that He started in those disciples, He brought to completion, knowing also that the good work that He has started in us, He also will bring to completion. We pray in His name. Amen.